0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. I don't know about you guys, I'm down here in tears singing that. Man, what a powerful morning of worship. We could go home right now, but you know I'm not going to let you do that. Changes, we're going to talk about changes this morning. Father, would you teach us about yourself this morning? As we look at uh, your gospel, as we look at your message, as we look at the resurrection, God, we desire to see changes and we desire to be changed in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm Gary, one of the pastors here at TBC. We're delighted to have you worshiping with us this Easter. We are studying John's gospel on Sunday mornings and we're going to continue to do that this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, uh, John chapter 19, we're going to look at John chapters 19 and 20 together. John chapters 19 and 20. Changes. We're going to look at changes surrounding the resurrection. I'm getting ready to go to England and be treated in a couple of weeks, and I uh, received an email from the lady who's coordinating all this stuff, and I realized things change, including our language. So, uh, folks said we, as uh, Americans and British, uh, have a common bond, and we have a common language that we don't understand. So, I'm reading this email, and about four times it says, uh, Wiltz, W-H-I-L-T, I don't know when's the last time you use Wiltz, but whilst you are in the hospital, uh, the first night you will spend in the H-I-U, and I'm thinking, what the heck is the H-I-U, and uh, so so I email her back and said, "I don't know what the HIU is. Where am I staying?" She said, "It's the high intensity unit. You'll be in the high intensity. I guess it's like our ICU here." And then I read the email a little longer, and she said, uh, "The first night you're in the hospital before your procedure, uh, you will be nil after midnight." And I'm thinking, "I know what nil is because we play spades, but I had no idea what that meant." So I emailed her back, and she said, "Well, nil means you can have nothing to eat or drink after midnight." And so I'm thinking, "Okay, whilst I am there, I will be nil in the." (laughs) H-I-U. And my mind has just gone crazy trying to understand this. So I decided I better get my act together. So uh, somebody had sent me an article several years ago, actually, uh, about this struggle we have between English and uh, the proper American English and British English. And so uh, it's a story of an English lady who wanted to come to New England to visit a friend. She didn't want to stay with a friend. She wanted a friend to rent her room somewhere. And so uh, she sent the email and the lady said, I'll be glad to do that for you. You're welcome to stay with me. No, I'd rather be in another room in a house, so if you'll do that for me. And then she realized when she sent that email to her friend in America, she had not asked for a, if it had a private WC. So she desired to have a private WC. Now, if you've been to England, you know what that is. If you haven't been to England, you may not know what it is. The WC is what? Yeah, it's a bathroom, okay? It's a bathroom. She wanted to know she had a private WC. Well, the lady in New England had no idea what WC was. She had never been there. So she went to her pastor and said, I've got a dilemma. I've got a friend coming to visit. She wants to know if she has a private WC. I'm not sure what that is. So they put the head together. In New England, they have what they call wayside chapels. And so you go and you can worship in these wayside chapels. So she sent an email back to her friend, and it said this. Uh, Dear friend, I take great pleasure in informing you that the WC is situated three miles from the house you will occupy. It's located in the center of a beautiful grove of pine trees surrounded by lovely grounds. It is capable of holding 229 people. It's open on Sundays and Wednesdays only. As there are a great number of people who visit the WC regularly, and since they come early during the summer months, I'd suggest that you arrive early, although there's usually plenty of standing room. You will no doubt be glad to hear that a good number of people who walk to the WC bring their lunches and make a day of it. I would especially recommend you come on Wednesdays because we have musical accompaniment on that day. My wife is in poor health, so as you can imagine, it pains her greatly that she cannot go more often. The newest attraction is an ornate bell that's been donated by a wealthy resident of the district. It rings every time someone enters the WC. A bazaar is being held to provide padded seats for the people because it's difficult to sit for over an hour on such a hard surface. I shall be delighted to reserve the best seat in the WC for you, uh, your friend, and she's got her name there. She never came to America. Changes. Language changes. Things change. The resurrection changes everything. If the resurrection is true, C.S. Lewis said, nothing else in life matters. The resurrection is true, nothing else in life matters because it changes everything. So I want to look at four simple changes this morning, changes associated with the resurrection, things around the resurrection. The first thing we're going to look at are two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Uh, They were secret disciples and they changed to becoming open followers of Christ at this time. We looked at John chapter 3 several weeks ago here on a Sunday morning, and, and uh, we're going to just remind ourselves of some of the things we uh, looked at then. Joseph of Arimathea is an interesting guy. He, his name is actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. All four Gospels record the burial of Christ because the Spirit of God who gave the inspiration to the Gospel writers obviously wanted us to know that the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, uh, were actually they actually took place. There was a man associated with it. He knew where that tomb was. His name was Joseph because it was his to him. So in Matthew chapter 27, it says, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. So what we know about Joseph of Arimathea is that he was a wealthy man. But we know some other things from the other Gospels. In Mark's Gospel, it says Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And so he was a member of the council. When we say Nicodemus several weeks ago, we saw the council is the same as the Sanhedrin. It's the highest form of government in Israel at that day. Uh, it was the 70. There were 70 members of the Sanhedrin, it, it, plus the high priest, so 70, plus the high priest who headed up at that time. We said it would be like the U.S. Senate and Supreme Court court coming together. It was the most influential position in all of Israel in that day and age. They met the law, they, they wrote the law, they interpreted the law, and they made sure the law was adhered to. And so Joseph of Arimathea was a prominent member of this council, so he would be known by all who were part of that, a prominent member. And then we go to Luke's Gospel and says this, now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, Conville, I guess, same thing, a, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. So Joseph, we don't know if he openly oppose that, or if he just privately did that, but he opposed the crucifixion of Christ. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea. He himself was waiting for the kingdom, going to Pilate. He asked for the body of Jesus. And then in the gospel of John that you have open before you, it says this in verse 38, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Let's stop right there. He was a secret disciple. He wasn't a guy who was willing to come out and state his, that he followed Christ. And so he was a secret disciple, not an open follower. But something changed. Something changed. Nicodemus also was a leader of the council, as we saw in John chapter 3. We saw that he was also a Pharisee. That means he not only knew the law, but he loved the law, he understood the law, and he memorized the law. Not only that, but in John chapter 3, verse 10, it says he he was not a teacher of the law. He was the teacher of the law. The article is with it. And so Nicodemus, we find, is one of the greatest leaders of Israel at that time, if you will, one of the greatest teachers, rather, of Israel at that time. So you have Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, part of the council. You have Nicodemus, a wealthy man who is part of the council. He's also a Pharisee. And so you have two men who have everything to lose and nothing to gain unless the truth of who Jesus is, is reality. Something changed. Something changed. These men who had everything to lose, who who could have stayed in the shadows, all of a sudden become public. They become public and, and they come forth and they, they ask the body of Christ to come down. You know, a lot of pastors, including myself, in times they have thrown sticks at Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Why didn't you do more? I'm sure as they unstapled the body of Christ on the cross and they put the weight of his body on their shoulders, they also had the weight of guilt and shame. They had influence. They had power. Their words mattered. Their position mattered. They could have done something. They could have warned the disciples, but they didn't do any of those things. In fact, they, they didn't speak up at that time, as near as we can tell. But they did come out of the shadows. They no longer secretly followed Christ. They openly followed Christ. Because I submit to you, when they came to unstaple the body of Christ on the cross, they came at a time of heightened intensity and danger. When they could have been filled with fear, but instead of fear, they came forth. And they stepped out of the shadows, no longer hiding in the darkness, no longer secret, secret disciples, but now they are open followers of our Savior. And they come and they stand for our Savior when nobody else did. We say, Pastor Gary, what does that have to do with the the resurrection? This is Resurrection Sunday a lot. I believe in the days, the weeks, the months, and the years ahead, the fact that we hear nothing about Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus is one of the most convincing evidences of the resurrection. You see, if anybody would know that the resurrection was not true, it was these two guys because they buried the body of Jesus in a tomb. They're the ones who took that dead body and laid it in a tomb and they were lovers of Israel and lovers of the people of Israel and lovers of the law. And I would submit to you that if anybody didn't want their people to be duped or deceived, it was these guys, they didn't want an April Fool's prank. Today is the first Easter Sunday that falls on April 1st since 1956. It rarely happens, It only happened four times in the last century. And so what we see is that would be the most audacious prank that was ever played. In fact, it deceived many people, would deceive many people, and many would would have given their lives for something that wasn't true. These guys risk being ostracized. They risk losing everything they had, but their silence speaks volumes. Now we don't know what happened to them. Church history doesn't tell us anything. The scriptures don't tell us anything. (laughs) I wonder if they were ostracized by family. I wonder if they were kicked out of the Sanhedrin. I wonder if they left on their own accord. Here's the one thing I I do wonder oftentimes in in the the, the writings of Acts the Apostle, the book of Acts that we have in our Bibles. In Acts chapter 6, listen to this verse. And the word of God kept spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests... We're becoming obedient to the faith. That's Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Write it down, take a look at it later. When I read that verse, I wonder if Joseph and Nicodemus were responsible for some of that. I wonder when all their colleagues are, not all, but a number of their colleagues are coming to faith. Is it because they saw the faith of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus? I don't know. The scriptures don't tell us that. But we do know a a number of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Both Nicodemus and Joseph hid their faith until the death of Christ. Then they stepped out of the shadows and they proclaimed their allegiance to the Savior. They professed that they were followers of his. And they go and they ask for his body. And they come out of the darkness and they step into the light. And they come out of the shadows and they step ahead and honor the Savior. In the book of Isaiah, it says he was buried, or he would be buried, the coming Messiah. In Isaiah, 600 years before, he would be buried in the tomb of a rich man. Don't you wonder when they were burying Christ, if those verses came to their mind? Here they were, burying the Savior of the world, as was foretold by the prophet Isaiah. They came out of the shadows. This Easter, for some of you, it's time to come out of the shadows. You too are secret disciples. You work with people who don't know of your faith. You work with people who don't know of your Savior. People in your family may not know of your following Christ. And I'm going to ask you this Easter if you would prayerfully consider stepping out of the shadows. People come out of closets all the time revealing different things. I want you, I'm going to challenge you to make sure you come out of the closet, so to speak. You step out and you talk about the Savior that you know and love. We have a high privilege. that We need to be bold and telling people about our Savior. All these songs we sang talk about Jesus is alive, so we will be alive. Jesus is alive, and he was resurrected, so we'll be resurrected. We have a story to tell to the world. Robert Ingersoll was an avowed agnostic. He was friends with Bishop Brooks, Philip Brooks, who I've used in many illustrations over the years, and they they were friends. And uh, Ingersoll, in his avowed agnosticism, decided he would go visit Bishop Brooks, who was on his deathbed. He knew that Bishop Brooks did not accept many visitors, so he went there not knowing if he would see him or not. Bishop Brooks actually invited Ingersoll to his bedside in his dying days. And so Ingersoll looked at Bishop Brooks after they had a conversation and he said, I have to ask you, sir, why is it that you would see me but not many of your closest friends? And he looked at him and he said, Sir Robert, I feel confident of seeing many of my friends in the next world, but this may be my last chance. To ever see you. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's boldness. That's boldness stating that and saying, hey, I, I don't know about uh, y- my, you, but my friends will be in heaven, but what about you? As you guys know, I love World War II history, and one of the stories that comes out of World War II history is quite an interesting story. It's in a book by Erwin Lutzer called When a Nation Forgets God. And the author says, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I consider myself a, a believer in Christ. And we heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we kept a distance from it because what could we do? He said, one Sunday we were worshiping and the train typically comes through during our worship service and we stopped singing and let the hum of the train go by and the noise of the train go by. But on this day, it was different. We heard voices screaming out from the boxcars. So we knew what that was. She was being taken to concentration camps. We heard those voices, and so we sang louder and louder. For the next several months, when the train came by on Sundays, we sang louder and louder to drown out the noise that was whizzing by. Hey, we live in a world with people whizzing by. People whizzing by right in front of us, colleagues, family members, friends, neighbors, who do not know who Jesus is who've never trusting Him as our Savior. And we have the high privilege, not of singing louder and ignoring the world around us, but embracing those that we love and telling of our Savior. Amen? The privilege we have. There's another change that took place. Not, not only was it uh, Joseph and Nicodemus moving from being secret disciples to open followers, but this is, an ev- this is not people, this is a place. What we see a change, the grave from being full to empty. If you look at John chapter 20, beginning in verse one, Mary Magdalene goes there. She winds her way through the garden tomb. She gets there and the stone is gone. She looks in, there's nobody there. And so she runs to tell the disciples what's happening. If you look in Luke's version of it, they thought she was crazy. They thought she was hallucinating. They thought she didn't know what she was saying. But the tomb was empty. You go back and look at human history, and you will find that nobody takes anybody back to the vacated tomb to show a body that was there. Not the Romans, not the Jews, not anybody else. Now, Jesus was crucified where? Where was Jesus crucified? Outside the gates of which city? I'm going to ask you several questions. The answer to every question is Jerusalem. You ready? So Christ was crucified outside the city gates of? Jerusalem. The church was birthed in? and and the the first disciples preached in, and you're a sharp crowd. Look at that, man. Just like last two hours, okay? I mean, all this happened in Jerusalem. Christ was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. The church is birthed in Jerusalem. The the church grows and the disciples preach in Jerusalem. All somebody has to do, if you've been to Jerusalem with us, all you have to do is walk from here to the mall, and that's where the grave of Joseph of Arimathea was, and you could produce a dead body, a cadaver, and Christianity is still born. It stopped right there. In all of human history, my friends, in all of human history, it never happens. Nobody says, let me take you back to the grave and show you a dead body. One of the greatest changes is that a tomb that was full is a tomb that is now empty. And because that tomb is empty, we worship today and we honor our savior this day. And we recognize as eternal hope for us this day. If the tomb was full of Christ was not resurrected, we should be having brunch right now, not sitting in this auditorium. There's another change. To change of Mary Magdalene. She is a woman who had seven demons that were cast out of her. Jesus had given her reason to live. He had given her dignity. He had given her hope. He had loved her. But now that hope was dead, the lifeless body of Jesus was in a tomb and all hope was gone. And it's Mary who goes looking for, to, to anoint the body of Jesus. And when she goes there, she's met with the scene that we just described. And if you look at John chapter 20, verse 11, it says, But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, so she wept, she stooped. She looked in the tomb. Her wife's worst nightmare had happened. The Savior who loved her was dead. Let's look at this through Mary's own words. Let's look at this through one who portrays Mary and what it had to be like for her to come to that garden tomb.
1: It was quiet when we approached the tomb. Days before there was noise wherever we went. Crowds cheering, sometimes yelling. But now, in front of his tomb, just silence. I had gathered all my spices and oils intending to anoint the body. But when I got there, He was gone. Jesus changed my life. Ever since the day that I met him in Galilee, he rescued me. And I followed him ever since, all the way to his death. But there was the tomb, and it was empty. My heart broke into a thousand pieces. I turned and there was a gardener and I asked him if he knew where they had taken Jesus' body. But I recognized it was Jesus. It was my Lord. He taught us that his sheep would recognize His voice, and I knew him. I knew him the minute he said my name. I dropped to my knees. What else could I do but cling to him? I never wanted to let him out of my sight. But no, he had different plans for me. He wanted me to let the others know about the good news. I ran as fast as my legs would carry me. Was shouting like an excited child. <laughs> he did it! <laughs> he did it! <laughs> he, he really did it! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to think that I had come to an anoint a dead man, and I left with proof That he is the overcomer of everything. I, all of us, can never beat fear, sorrow, sin, definitely not death. I say that he is. I know who he is. Oh, I know who he is. He said that he would rise. And he most certainly is risen. He is the Savior. He is. He is the one true God.
0: From weeping to worship, from despair to delight, from fear to faith, from hopelessness to hope. Why? Because he's alive. Because he's alive. And we see a change. We see Joseph and Nicodemus becoming open followers of Christ. And we see a full grave becoming empty. And we see a weeping Mary become a worshiping Mary. And finally, we see doubting Thomas becoming faithful Thomas. We see him moving from doubting to devotion Thomas has a first name, we're to heaven, and he's going to say, Hi, I'm Thomas. He's going to say, Oh, you're doubting Thomas. We know his first name, don't we? And I'm glad Thomas was there for us. For those of us that are doubters, I'm grateful that he was there. We can't be there, but he was. In fact, when Jesus looks at Thomas and he shows him his hands and he shows him his side, Jesus says, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. He said, blessed are those, that's us, who did not see. We couldn't be in that room. It's 2,000 years later. But Thomas was there for those of us that are skeptics. Thomas was there for those of us that are doubters. Thomas was there so he could say, let me tell you, I've seen the Savior because he falls on his face and he says, my Lord and my God. And so we couldn't be there, but Thomas was there for us. And we can overcome our doubt and our skepticism by recognizing who our Savior is. Doubting Thomas has changed to devoted Thomas. And so when you see him in heaven one day, you're the man who changed because of the resurrection. So here's my question for you this morning. My question is this, the resurrection changes everything. Has it changed you? Has it changed you? For some of you, we were in sunrise this morning and then service before this and last night. And I tell them, uh, for some of us, it's like coming home this, this Easter. Some of you need to come home for the first time and meet Christ as your Savior. You were dragged here by somebody. Maybe it's because they promised to take you to brunch after this was over. Maybe it's because you saw a bunch of cars and just made your way in the building to see who was here. We had a lady show up. She thought she was at Lions Park at Sunrise Service. She was out there and said, this isn't the group I normally come to, but there are so many people I decided to come. So, so maybe you got dragged here against your own will. I'm not sure what, but let me tell you, Christ is alive. And because, of, because he's alive, we sang that song, because he lives, I don't have to fear tomorrow. Because he's alive, all sin is gone. Because he's alive, we don't fear death. And so if you don't know Christ as Savior, just the opposite is true. You should be scared to death because you await an eternity separated from him. And so I invite you this morning to consider Jesus as your Savior. For some of you, you've walked closely with Christ in the past, but you're not right now. This morning can be a morning of coming home. There was a hymn written a number of years ago by a guy named last name Kilpatrick. and, And he was a guy who wrote this song, Coming Home, Coming Home, Nevermore to Rome open wide thy arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. He was preaching a revival in New England, and he recognized that the guy who'd been hired to sing would sing a solo and then leave and sing a solo and leave. And he didn't pray with them when they prayed, and he felt like this man was lost. And so he wrote that song during the week of that revival. And his song leader singing that song stopped in the middle of it. And he said, I have to come home because I'm far away. For some of you, it's coming home. We've got a house full of kids, grandkids, sisters, their kids, more grand, their grandkids. I mean, we got a house full. I was so relieved to come to church. just, at six to get away from <laughs> the chaos. It was just so chaotic. And so, but I noticed that in the late afternoon, this dog showed up and uh, we don't have a dog. And this dog showed up and I watched one of my grandkids go out and feed it, another grandkid to go, go and now we've got a dog. That dog, I mean, dog, I don't know where it slept, but it was there this morning when I got up, and then we got a dog. So there's a tag on that. I'm going to call the name on that tag and said, he's coming home. <laughs> for somebody need to come home, today's a day of repentance. It's a day of change. Change for you today. And I can't think of anything greater than the change that comes from our Savior. Worship team, you guys come and join me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For some of us, we need to become open followers instead of secret disciples because the grave is empty, it's not full. For some of us, we have been weeping and it needs to be turned into worship. Joy comes in the morning and for some of us, we've been doubting and we need now to be devoted. The resurrection changes everything. Has it changed you? Have you trusted Christ? Is he your savior? Or maybe you're a long way from him and you came on Easter Sunday, hopefully to find to find hope, to find peace that you once had. I'm going to tell you, Jesus hadn't changed. His arms are wide open. And we get to glorify him forever. So I invite you to come home. I'm going to walk to the back. If you'd like to pray about anything, I'd love to pray with you. Love to pray for anything in your life that needs praying over. Love to pray for Jesus to invade your life for the first time, if that's your need. So whatever it is, you make your way back there.